So we are all pretty good at crafting a king of our own design. Have you watched the movie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Those of you that have, you remember Veruca? Here's a little snippet of Veruca's song before the Oompa Loompas came and took her away. I want the world, I want the whole world, I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate, give it to me now. I want today, I want tomorrow, I want to wear them, uh, wear them like braids in my hair, and I don't want to share them. I want a party with a room full of laughter, 10,000 tons of ice cream, and if I don't get the things I'm after, I'm going to scream. And then shortly after this, the Oompa Loompas come along, and they sing about how you can live in happiness too, like the Oompa Loompa doompity do. So, crafting a, our own king. If, if you're like the Oompa Loompas, you have happiness in the, no matter who the king is, because you can just be great. Uh, but it's very natural to us. We want what we want, and we want it when we want it. So much so that Burger King came out with a great ad, your way, right away, at Burger King now. Like, you're the king when you go to Burger King. So whatever you want, we'll make it right up for you. Well, if we can't be our own king, we at least want someone to have the same kinds of ideals and goals that we have. So if we can't be king, at least have some king that'll do the things that we think are right. One of the problems with, with kings... is kings have their own self-interests. No matter where we live, no matter what time we live, kings always want what they want. They might care for you as well, but not quite as much as they care for themselves. While we want a king crafted to care about what we value most, those kings have their own ideas as to what's most important. On the other hand, our Savior, Jesus Christ, provides what we need most, not necessarily what we think we need. This passage in John 6 this morning will will at least intimate some of that reality. Our passage this morning will recount a familiar miracle or sign performed by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Interestingly, the only other miraculous event recorded in all four of the Gospels is the resurrection of Jesus. So this miraculous event is recorded in all four. It stands out among Jesus' miracles as the most, in terms of volume of people, the most impactful as far as... uh, Something he did in front of people, because what we'll recognize is there are some 25,000 people that would have not only observed this miracle, but partaken of the fruit of this sign of Jesus. This sign left the people astonished, and it left them concluding 
that this must be the promised new Moses. This must be the one that that was going to speak and people would listen. And like Moses who delivered the people from Egypt, this new better Moses would deliver us from Rome. This is the thought of the people. They thought that's what they needed most was deliverance from a political scheme. They thought that would really meet their deepest needs. But what they really needed was a shepherd. They didn't need a different king to liberate them politically, economically, socially. They needed a shepherd who would lead them by the still waters who would restore their soul. Who would nurture and provide and care for what they really deeply needed. This sign in John chapter 6 is another in the Gospel of John that was recorded to help us to know and believe who Jesus really is. And to know and believe who Jesus really is would result in the imparting of Jesus' life through His name. Listen carefully to these words. We've rehearsed this time and again. It's the recorded purpose of the Gospel of John. It's found in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. This is what God's Word says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these, the ones that are recorded, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. The purpose of these signs, both in time that they were done, and in time that they're read henceforth, the purpose of these signs is that we would receive what Jesus offers, and that offering is real life, spiritual life, life from Him. So let's pick up our reading in John chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 to begin with. John 6, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following Him because they saw the signs that He was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there He sat down with His disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up His eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward Him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test Him, for He Himself knew what He would do. Chapter 6 begins with this nonspecific statement after this. It's about as generic as you get. After this. Now, if you trace what it says in verse 4, it's a Passover, and you look back to chapter 5 and you see there was a feast of the Jews, doesn't say it was a Passover. It could have been. 
If it were the Passover, then we're talking about 12 months between chapters 5 and chapter 6. If it were another feast, it's probably maybe 6 months. So anywhere from 6 to 12 months have taken place between chapters 5 and chapter 6 after these things, or after this, Jesus went to the other side. So He's, he's heading to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It says, well, here another name for the Sea of Galilee is the Sea of Tiberias. It was named that way because of a, uh, one of the cities was prominent. It was named after uh, a prominent person named Tiberius. And so the sea had two names. But based upon this reference, there's been some time between. What is clear from the other Gospels is some events that did take place just before this. And I think it's very important for our edification to understand what has taken place just before Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. First of all, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was executed. Now, something you know about Jesus based upon our studies and based upon your own study, based upon your own reading, is Jesus was God and Jesus was, is, man. When your cousin dies, you feel that. So Jesus lost His cousin. The disciples had just been... um, sent off on a journey to, to preach and teach and to, to perform miracles. They had just come back from that journey. They were recounting all the things that took place. Now, can you imagine you know, if you went out and you were giving sight to blind people and, and speech to people who are muted and, and, and hearing to those who were deaf and uh, strength in the legs of someone who, who was unable to walk previously, you'd have a lot to say. You'd be pretty excited to recount this. They're they're coming back. They're reporting on all of this. They also were very tired. They're very tired. So that prompted Jesus to say this in Mark chapter 6. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure not even to eat. This is how busy their lives had been that they didn't ever have their own space. Not time to even sit down and enjoy a meal. So Jesus said, let's take a little break. We're going to have a little vacation. So they head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to vacation in a desolate place to take a little rest. Jesus is mourning His cousin. They're on the hillside or the small mountain alone. And as they're there, Jesus is alone with His disciples on the side of the mountain. He sees the crowds (laughs) coming along the edges of the Sea of Galilee. They're, They're coming. Apparently our plan for respite has been interrupted. As Jesus sees the people, He already knows what His plan is. As He sees the people, something is evoked within Him that our Bible calls compassion. Take a look. We're in John 6. We're going to come back to John 6. Take a look at Mark 6 for just a moment. The crowds are coming. Why were they coming? 
Because they keep seeing all these miraculous things that Jesus is doing. They see Him healing people. And that is, uh, that's a real wow factor, isn't it? To see someone healed, that would, that would stir uh, your passion to follow after somebody. So the people are coming after Him. Look at Mark chapter 6 and verse 34. It says, When He went ashore, He saw a great crowd, and He had compassion on them, because they were like sheep. What does it say? Without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And He began to teach them many things. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew, in his accounting, we're not going to turn there, it says Jesus had compassion upon them and He healed their sick. Like Every sick person that came to Him, He healed them. Not some, all. Here in Mark, or when we were in Mark, Jesus had compassion on them and He fed them. He met their needs. He had compassion on them and He, he took care of them. He taught them many things. After healing and teaching many things, it says, Luke says it was things about the kingdom of God. After teaching many things and healing many people, it was getting late. And this was not a coincidence. This was not a happenstance. Oh, I lost track of time. Whew, it's getting late. What are we going to do? All these people. We're going to see about 25,000 people are here. It's getting late. They're hungry. This is not an accident. Jesus didn't want to just tell them some truths. And He didn't want to just show them some power in transforming people's physical bodies. He had something additional that He wanted to provide for them. He wanted them to see who He really is. What He was about to do would provide more than something to sustain this large crowd's physical life. They probably could have made it somewhere to get some food for themselves. That was the disciples' plea. Listen, we don't have anything here. We don't have enough money to deal with this. Send them to the surrounding villages and towns. Let them fend for themselves. Let them find lodging. Let them find food. It'll be okay. Jesus wasn't just interested in having done what He had done. He had something more. There was a big agenda here. There's another sign in the Gospel of John. It was designed to show that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. And it was calling for belief resulting in spiritual life. There is a large crowd here. Jesus sees their need. And their need is that they need a shepherd. And that includes His own disciples. His own disciples needed a shepherd. And I think we can see that just by how Jesus addresses this matter. His inquiry to the disciples was part of His shepherding of them. Look at verses 5 and 6. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, why did he ask Philip? Well, according to the book of Luke, 
Philip was from Bethsaida. And that's where they, they're right in that area. Philip, you know all the stores. You know where Mary's bread shop is. Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? Look what it says in verse 6. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Just pause for a second. You know, you've read John 6, you've probably read Mark 6, you've probably read Matthew 14, you've probably read Luke 9. Okay, so I know you know the, the accounting. When Jesus asks them, where are we going to get the bread to feed these people? Did Jesus anticipate that they were going to look for physical means to meet this physical need? Of course, that's what they have at their disposal. is physical needs. Physical resources. So, verse 7, Philip answers in a physical way. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. uh, 200 denarii, that's basically eight months of wages. If we had eight months of wages in a pot right here, and I went to the store, and I brought all that bread back, not everyone would even get a crumb. What do you mean where am I going to buy bread? Well, Andrew has another physical response. Verses 8 and 9, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? There's this kid. He brought his lunch. You can have it, Jesus. (laughs) Can't deal with the rest of these people. Dealing with the physical resources we have. You can be the greatest logistics officer around and you can't come up with food out of nowhere to feed 25,000 people. But he's eliciting something from His disciples as He's eliciting something from these that are about to see His powerful provision. Man's supply always comes up short. And while in this text, God is going to use a small thing to produce abundance, what I would say to you, God doesn't even need anything to bring forth an overabundance. He doesn't need anything. He's never... He's never up against it. We get up against it in so many ways, right? You just run out of strength. You run out of uh, intellectual capacity. You're just fatigued, uh, emotionally spent, physically spent, financially spent. We we get up against it. It's, It's just a recurring theme in our lives, which is why we go to bed every night. Why we eat again the next day, because we we spend out. God is never spent. He's never lacking. There's an emphasis as we read this passage about the large crowd and the insufficient means of accomplishing this feeding. 
Now again, the the number here that's going to be brought forth in verse 10 is that there are 5,000 men. verse, Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. So we're talking about anywhere between 15 and 25,000. If you start estimating, I think most conservative estimates are pushing the 25,000 number. Jesus is about to feed a small army with five small barley cakes and two dried up fishes. You just can't do that. You can't, I can't. It's not possible. But that's what is before us. And that's what Jesus does. He takes this small little lunch and multiplies it. Look at verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves and when He had given thanks. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for this. Five loaves and two fish for 25,000 people? And he starts to distribute it. Well, he didn't. He started distributing it to his disciples, and they start bringing it to these people. It says that they sat them down in groups of 50 and groups of 100. They're seated on green grass. This is what you compile all the accounts together. They're seated on green grass in groups of 50 and 100. They start passing it out. It distributes them, verse 11, to all those who were seated. If you're standing, you get nothing. If you're seated, you get food. So also they passed out the fish. Listen to this at the end of verse 11. This is not an insignificant statement. As much as they wanted. If we took 200 denarii and bought bread, it wouldn't be enough for everyone to have a crumb. Well, we have five loaves and two fish, but what is that among so many? Jesus says, hold the loaves. I got this. Have them sit down. He takes this. God, You caused the earth to produce bread. Thank You for our daily bread. Starts to distribute. And they don't have a crumb. They don't have a snack. They have a full meal. Absolutely as much as they wanted. Look at verse 13 now. Uh, Verse 12, excuse me. And when they had eaten their... What is the next word? Eaten to the full. When they were up to capacity... He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. They had eaten their full. Gather up the leftovers. Don't waste what God has supplied. Verse 13, so they gathered them up and filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. They had eaten their full. They ate as much as they wanted. They were all done. Jesus is gathered up. They take 12 baskets to gather up the fragments from the lunch that wouldn't fill one of the baskets. You just can't do this. I just can't do this. There's no human being on earth that can do this. 
There is a God, on the other hand, who spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light. Guess what happened? Light. He took the dust of the ground and He formed a man and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life and man became a living spirit. Because God is God. And Jesus takes these ordinary elements and multiplies them and people are filled and there's leftovers because He's God. He's God in the flesh. And the people, they saw it. (laughs) They, They... they comprehended something. It's like, this is not normal. He's got to be something more than a regular rogue preacher. He's more than one of the normal prophets. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that He had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming into the world. That is a reference to the Messiah it is a reference to the new Moses. The people think this has got to be the prophet Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18. So, with that being said, hold your hand here. We're going to come right back. Take a look at Deuteronomy 18 just for a moment. This is important how all of this ties together. We have bread. We have Moses. We have some other markers in the text that we're going to note that are important Deuteronomy 18, look at verse 15 to start. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like Me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Verse 18 now. Deuteronomy 18.18 I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put My words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. There's this promised prophet. It's part of the messianic prophecies. It's, this is the one that they were waiting for. And now, they see Jesus multiply loaves and fish, and they say, Aha! This has got to be Him! That former prophet that predicted this Latter prophet, the new prophet, his name was Moses. And also, as Moses being an instrument of manna, God providing bread from heaven, food for their bellies every day, that Moses didn't just provide manna, he also provided deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. Now we have a new Moses providing bread that fills our Stomachs. Oh, this must be the prophet. Guys, look around. There's 25,000 of us and 5,000 men. We have ourselves a small army. Let's make him king. He will deliver us from the Romans. The bondage will be let go. We'll be free. Finally, the kingdom that we had hoped for is here. He's going to take care of our physical needs, our political needs. He'll do our social agenda. He's going to take care of everything we ever wanted. Let's make Him king. Verse verse 15, back in John 6. It says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him king, 
Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by Himself. You'd think, well, this is it. Let's do this thing. And I bet you, His disciples had some of that welling up within them. Let's do this thing. Here we are. We're going to finally be freed. The kingdom of righteousness will come. This is going to be great. This is the plan. But Jesus wants to let them know you need something more than a political king to take care of your physical, social, political agenda. You need a shepherd. You need a shepherd to meet the needs of your soul. The body stuff, I could feed you every day. Eventually, the clock runs out. Eating on that last day, the last meal, but then the life comes to an end. Every political regime, it always comes to an end. There's a one that's going to come and it's going to grind the rest to powder. That day is coming. It's a kingdom that will fill the whole earth. We're looking forward to it. But before we get to that, we need the deepest needs of our soul met. And that's what Jesus came to do. He looked. Large crowds following Him. Let's make Him king. You need a shepherd. Your lost sheep your sheep without a shepherd, I'm the shepherd that you need. He feeds them like a shepherd feeds the sheep. But there's more here. They want to cause him to rise up and be king, but Jesus' real mission was beyond this. Edmund Clowney made this statement about this scene. It's, it's quite remarkable. Jesus would go to Jerusalem not to wield the spear or bring judgment, but to receive the spear, thrust, and bear the judgment. Before the rule of righteousness comes, the provision of righteousness was needed. Before the rule of righteousness comes and rules over all, a merciful sacrifice needed to be made. He's, he's a coming king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to come and return as a king. This is to happen. But he is the shepherd that we need. Jesus came to shepherd lost sheep. Why did Jesus multiply loaves and fish for these people? He had compassion on them. Was it really about food for their bellies? Perhaps to a small degree, it was. He didn't want them wearied in their journey back. He cared about them. But it was about something much more important. He came to provide people with real, enduring life. I keep using that expression. Real, enduring life. He came to provide spiritual life. Give them life that no physical substance or physical efforts could ever attain. He wanted them to be able to see God and Himself as God for who He really is. He wasn't coming to usher in a revolution. He needed to lead them along like a shepherd. I want to, to note this interesting side note in verse 4. Now the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Side note. Little detail 
It's not an insignificant detail. In the coming weeks, we'll see more and more of the significance. Pastor Jeff will deal with it more than I'm able to here. What are the Jews thinking about during Passover? What is the recollection of their hearts? If they're thinking properly, they're thinking all the way back to being in Egypt. The last plague was to come. What were they supposed to do? Take a lamb. Take the blood from the lamb. Put it on the doorposts. And then, roast the lamb and eat the lamb. They were to eat the flesh of the lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. It says in Exodus 20.10, listen to this, Exodus, 20, uh, excuse me, Exodus 12.10, let none of it, the lamb, remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. No leftovers in that meal. Eat this lamb. Now, Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And later on in John 6, Jesus is going to start talking about eating Him. You're going to eat My flesh. You're going to drink My blood. And it got them all boggled up. So much so they're ready to take off. And Jesus says to His disciples, you going to leave too? They said, where else are we going to find the words of eternal life? You've got the words of life. Where are we going to go? We've got nowhere to go. You're it. But why is it that Jesus told them to eat His flesh? Because He is the Passover Lamb. So here they are. They were at the Passover. Jesus will compare later on in John 6 the bread that God sent from heaven through Moses with Him Self being the true bread from heaven. Let's take a look a little later in John 6. Just for a moment. John 6, 31. The people said, you know, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread to eat, or bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. And he's going to make a shift here. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives His life to the world. He's coming as the Passover Lamb to provide for the world. Look down at verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live, how long? Forever. And the bread that I give him for the life of the world, or the bread that, excuse me, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This Passover lamb. During the Passover, Jesus had filled their bellies with supernaturally supplied food. But He was the substance that they needed. He was the true need that they had. He is the Passover lamb. 
if they would believe him for who he is, they would be spiritually filled. As the Passover lamb, he provides rescue. But not rescue from Rome. Rescue from them. Rescue from the insatiable, relentless, harmful cravings of our soul that end separate from God. That end in judgment and condemnation. Jesus came to separate us from that, to rescue us from that as our Passover lamb. It's so natural for us to have our minds on our current circumstances, right? We have this bill that needs to be paid. We have ongoing physical pain. Maybe we have a a debilitating disease. It's on and on and on. It, It can really consume our minds. We have relationships that are out of order. And we want solutions to today's problems. Give us a king who can solve these problems. But God provides so much more. So much more than the payment of a bill. So much more than the healing from a disease. So much more than a relationship on this plane. He solves our greatest needs. He addresses it by giving us His life. His life. It addresses our eternity and it addresses the cravings of our heart right now. He offers to settle the question of what comes after the food of this life can no longer sustain our bodies when our bodies shut down. By laying down His life, He dealt with our sin. And by being raised from the dead, He gives us resurrection life. Real life. Life that can never be taken. Life that never diminishes. In this life, there will always be another challenge. There will always be another challenge. One will resolve. Another will arise. We don't need a king to fix all these little problems. These problems unveil and reveal our need for the One who solves the deepest problems of our heart. There will always be one more disappointment. There will always be one more craving. One more conflict. As our shepherd, Jesus walks with us in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our disappointments, When we have come to Jesus as our Savior, we also receive God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a comforter. He abides with us. There's never a moment that we face a matter without God's presence. He's the shepherd that we need. And there's so many times we're so distracted by the things we're feeling, seeing, hearing, that occupy our minds and make our minds swirl, that we forget that in this moment, God's Spirit dwells in us. That our Father in Heaven is for us. That our great High Priest 
at the right hand of the Father is always making intercession for us right now. Jesus sees the large crowd coming to Him and He says, they need a shepherd. They're, they're scattered like a lost, lost sheep. They need a shepherd. And as the shepherd, He laid His life down for the sheep. Our Savior is with us through this life's journey. Jesus is truly the shepherd that we need. May I encourage you, friend, I don't know where you are and what you're dealing with. Let me encourage you to come to Him. Don't come to Him with a list of your ideals. Come to Him and learn of Him. Learn what He's really like. Instead of you trying to figure out what you need, why don't you just figure out who He is? Let Him deal with the need. Come to Him. Receive the life that He offers through His death in your place. And you know, for those of us that have experienced that life, we've experienced what it's like to have a Savior providing not only for our physical needs, but for our spiritual needs. We've received this life from our Shepherd. I think we ought to be asking our Father, Father, help me, help me to be a channel through which Your compassion for people can be seen. Let, let them see Your compassion in my eyes through my words with my hands. Let them see the kind of shepherd that lays down His life for people wandering in the different direction from Him. Let them see. That's the, the cry of my heart. That others would see the compassion, love, and truth of Jesus Christ through the words, deeds, and ways of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, You know what we need. You know what we need and You've provided everything we need. We're amazed at Jesus' divine ability, but we're even more amazed at His love and compassion and His provision of life way beyond physical bread and physical fish. We're amazed that He was willing to bear our sin in His own body on the tree. That He was willing to provide for us the life that we need, that we can live with You now and live with You forever. We pray that You would mark our hearts and minds with these truths, that we would believe now and believe forever, and that You would refresh our souls through this truth. In Jesus' name, Amen.